Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. When Jesus is born, the angels are singing, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And he's called the Prince of Peace. He is foretold in Old Testament prophecy as the bringer of peace on earth. And he certainly is, but when Jesus asks this question, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? He says, no, not peace, but division. And he goes on to talk about one house divided up as many ways as it could possibly be. What does he mean? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Thursday afternoon, November the 10th, it's part five of our series on the difficult sayings of Jesus. We'll be in Luke 12, not peace, but division. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. He is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. So here's the passage in question, Luke 12, beginning at verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I don't think we're going to be seeing that on any Christian greeting cards in the near future, are we? No, you should maybe go into, you should market that. You could be the uh, the shocking Christmas card of the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, it seems to contradict the exact, precisely contradict the promise of the angels, right? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Jesus says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? What are you listening to the angels? So, Obviously, here we've got some, the, the word peace is being used to speak of something different than the angels announce. I don't know if this is a hard saying in terms of that it's confusing to Christians, but rather I think this is a hard saying perhaps because it's so unpleasant of a reality that what Jesus is promising us here in some ways is that you're not going to have a peaceful Thanksgiving dinner if you're actually a Christian and you take your vocation seriously that there's going to be a division even within families because Christianity is a serious undertaking. It's not a hobby. It's not a relationship. It's not a way to make people feel warm and fuzzy inside. It's divisive because it's about things that are most central to what it is to be a human being and to live in creation. We usually think about this kind of division between us and in the abstract and unbelieving world. But Jesus, as you said just a moment ago, brings it down to the kitchen table, doesn't he? Yeah. And in some ways, this is, it's somewhat hyperbolic. Again, we keep coming back to that in the sense that when Jesus says that this is going to be father against son, mother against daughter, and so forth, the kitchen table, 
that what he's saying is this is going to divide things to the very core at the most in the most important places. So this isn't just going to be a matter of Ireland and England can't get along or nations or historic enemies or something. This is talking about being a threat to that which is most precious to us. What could be worse than to be fighting with your own family? But that's what Christianity in some sense calls us to right from the beginning, right? What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. And we are prone to fashioning gods out of things that are precious, not so much precious metals, but precious relationships and resources. And again, you know, this is where I think, particularly in our age, where the rub really comes, where it's really the most painful. How do I talk to my daughter who went away to college and comes back at Thanksgiving and announces that she thinks she's a lesbian? How do I deal with the reality that she wants to bring her girlfriend with her? And what will I sacrifice, or how quickly maybe will I sacrifice Christ and his word for the sake of peace at the Thanksgiving table? What does he mean, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled? He means that he's ready for the last day, uh, which is the, has to do with the next verse as well, right? He has a baptism to be baptized with. He's talking about his death, and he wishes that it was already accomplished, and he even speaks as though this is stressing him out, that it isn't yet accomplished as he speaks this. He's focused on the mission to restore the world, to reconcile the world to his father, to restore creation back to its goodness, and he's suffering that it hasn't happened already. And he's also suffering from, from the hypocrisy. So the context of this passage, I mean, the context of every passage matters. But here you've got at the very beginning of uh, chapter 12, that a multitude is gathered and they're trampling on one another, which is sort of interesting. And I'm of the opinion, not everybody agrees with me, but this word translated multitude or crowd I think always has a negative connotation. Sometimes the crowd can do sort of good things in the gospels. They can make a sort of good confession. They can come seeking the right sorts of things, but they also then can turn on a dime. Of course, this is the same word for the the group in the at the trial of Jesus that gets wound up by the Pharisees and cries out, crucify. This is the same word at the feeding of the 5,000 that they try to seize him and make him a bread king, or try to throw him off a cliff in Nazareth. So the crowd has a kind of, it's it's not an orderly, churchly gathering, right? So the word church, ecclesia in the New Testament, that word is a jargon word that uh, originally just meant a gathering, and now it means to be gathered by the Holy Spirit, right? To be the church. But that's an orderly gathering, and a mob or the multitude is always kind of chaotic, So the way that this, the kind of outline that leads up to this passage is you've got Jesus warning them right away. They're trampling each other, the multitude. They're not acting in an orderly or a Christian manner. And he warns them then, starts off with hypocrisy, warns them against the dangers of riches, and then telling them to seek first the kingdom of God. And then finally, right before our passage, about being a faithful steward and expecting him to come back. So the whole thing is kind of really rife with rebuke or remonstrance that Jesus is issuing both to the disciples and to the multitude, culminating in a sense in this, look, 
this world can't go on, the status quo cannot be allowed to be maintained, and being a Christian is going to have a cost. You're not going to be at peace with the world. You're not going to be at peace to some degree, even within your own family. There's going to be a consequence of having conviction and of taking your religion seriously. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of Godestines, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. We're talking about the difficult sayings of Jesus, not peace, but division in Luke chapter 12. Thanks to Pastor Hans Feeney and Peace Lutheran Church in Crestwood, Missouri, for being an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. When your confessional Lutheran Church pledges $1,000 to support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc., we'll promote your congregation on the podcast at our website and in the Issues Etc. journal. For more information, look for a one-page flyer on the support donate page at issuesetc.org or give us a call, 618-223-8385. Most churches are planning their budgets right now for next year. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor in 2020. On the other side, we'll be talking more about the baptism that Jesus mentions. Sacramental, historical, liturgical. You're listening to Issues Etc., St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, is hosting its annual Sausage Supper on Sunday, November 13th. Carry-out meals are available beginning at 11.30 Sunday morning until 5.30 Sunday evening. St. Paul Lutheran is located three miles off of Interstate 55 on Old Route 66. St. Paul Lutheran's Carry-out Sausage Supper, 11.30 a.m. through 5.30 p.m., Sunday, November 13th, in Hamill, Illinois. You can help save lives in Southern Illinois by participating in 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th. Vigils will be held outside abortion facilities at Granite City, Carbondale, and Fairview Heights, Illinois. For information on Granite City, visit 40daysgc.com. To learn more about Carbondale and Fairview Heights, go to coalitionforlife.com. You can protect mothers and children by joining the worldwide effort of 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's part five of our series on the difficult sayings of Jesus. Today we're in Luke 12, where Jesus talks about bringing not peace, but division. Pastor David Peterson is our guest, departmental editor of Godestines, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, I wanted to come back to that baptism that Jesus mentions, and I'm wondering if there's a connection here to another account where the disciples James and John approach Jesus asking for the seats of honor in his kingdom, and he asks them the question, are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I will undergo? Is that the same baptism? 
Yeah, I think so. That's He's talking there that here, right, the baptism that he's going to be baptized with is his martyrdom, that his crucifixion, and the baptism that the apostles are going to endure is also martyrdom. And I think that there's a connection, of course, also to what to the normal word of baptism, which is why he chooses it, to to recognize that regular water baptism, which is spirit baptism, which is baptism in the name of the Holy Trinity as fulfillment of Matthew chapter 28, by which disciples are made, is also a dying to this world and a rising to new life, right? The old man being drowned and dying and the new man being raised up in order that we would be connected precisely to the baptism of Jesus, that is his martyrdom, right, in Romans chapter 6. So that's the way he's using the word here, is that he's going to be martyred. The apostles are going to be martyred. When they say they want to rule by his side, that's what it takes, and they don't know what they're asking for. So what is this, how great is my distress until it is accomplished? I remember it dawning on me a Lent decades ago in the pulpit that Jesus is not like taking his time to get to the cross. He he really wants to get there. That's his goal. Yeah, he wants to fulfill his mission. He wants to be obedient to his father's will. He wants to finish what needs to be finished. I mean, there is this it's sort of hard to talk about in a way that because it it's beyond our capacity, our ability to imagine. But Right, the cross actually is the fulfillment of justice. So God is obligated morally by his own law, by his own justice, to redeem humanity and to restore us to fellowship with the Father. If he doesn't, then he allows the devil to steal us. I mean, that's not just, that the devil would be allowed to have something that doesn't belong to him. So God, in some sense, is bound by his own justice and his own law. He also can't just simply wish it away, right? He can't just be like, oh, well, forget about it. We'll pretend like it never happened because that wouldn't be just either. So there is this reality of the brokenness of creation that's a kind of affront to God's honor and glory and to his justice. And therefore, it needs to be satisfied by blood, by death, because that's the terms of it. And only he can do it. So he's in some sense eager to restore it, to have this reconciliation take place. And right, he doesn't look at it the way we would look at it, where this is going to hurt. He's looking at it much more in the sense of this is going to be good because this is what I'm meant for. And this is what is needed for the moment. So he's going to the cross and the cross is also judgment day for him, and then by imputation for all who believe in him. Does the peace made with God at the cross in Jesus shed blood and death, does it establish peace with God but break our peace with the unbelieving world? Yeah, absolutely, and and even more directly in some sense with the devil, right? So that's the meaning of the word enmity, So when God promises to Eve that he's going to put enmity between her seed and the devil's seed, that's a strange word, enmity. It's a noun. It means it's the thing that causes there to be war, causes there to be enemies. Jesus is the thing that stands between us and the devil that makes us and the devil enemies. 
the devil thought he could recruit us to his side, right? He will steal us away from God. And God's like, that's not happening. They're never going to be on your side. Even the unbelievers that deny themselves the benefits of what God has done for them in Christ, who refuse it, and to go to the place prepared for the devil and his angels, they go to the place prepared for the devil and his angels, not the place prepared for them. The place that was prepared for them is the mansions in heaven that they don't go to because they refuse them because they decide to go their own way. And even there in hell, right, these unbelievers are not going to be on the devil's side. They will still be his enemies because they were made in the image of God and Christ has become a man, become one of us, and so always stands between us. So the peace that's, you're exactly right, the peace that is established between us and God means that his enemies are our enemies. And so anybody who stands against that ends up being our enemy. And I know that sounds like harsh language. We don't want to talk about our unbelieving neighbors or God forbid our unbelieving children and relatives as being our enemies. But from a spiritual or a biblical point of view, they are in the sense that they are not fulfilling the will of God and they are dishonoring his name and his goodness by their refusal of his grace. Now, he doesn't want to be their enemy, right? He's done everything to reconcile them to himself, but he's also not a tyrant. So you have this sort of strange distress that he's under that we are also under. It's part of the whole now, not yet reality that we've been forgiven. That is the guilt of our sins is not held against us. God does not count our sins against us because we've been reconciled to the Father in the death of the Son and justified by his resurrection. And yet, at the same time, even though the guilt isn't accounted to us, on this side of glory, we still have memory of sin that tempts us and that makes us feel shame and that brings often consequences and even into the future. We're waiting for the time when that will all be removed completely, but it's not yet. So it's now and not yet. We belong to Christ, but we still have the pull of the flesh. There's a similar kind of now, not yet that exists also from the time of the fall until the the time that Jesus says it's finished in that those who are looking to him by faith are receiving the benefits of this, but it still hasn't been accomplished in time. And he is on the very edge of that. And so feeling the brokenness of this world, wanting it to be right, chafing under the disorder and the chaos and the malice of the fallen world and wanting it to burn that all away and to make this atonement in his blood so that things will be right again. That does happen, of course, but then again, there's this delay while we wait for all of the elect to be sealed in the waters of holy baptism and for the gospel to be preached in all the world and so that God gets everyone in, there's again this kind of similar distress that we feel now. So it sounds strange in a sense to talk about Jesus being distressed by the waiting that he has to do, but it's very much a reality of his suffering, all the things that we suffer. And that he also, in this moment, as in all of the time of his incarnation, is a man of faith who lives by faith and who waits for his father. So this is the position we find ourselves in, in a very parallel way, even though we're not going to, of course, satisfy the father's wrath and atone for the world. We are waiting for the fulfillment of all these things. 
It's part five of our series on the difficult sayings of Jesus, not peace, but division in Luke chapter 12 with Pastor David Peterson. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. I am struck by the fact that in this house, divided as many ways as it possibly can be, it's the loved ones who are divided. We'll talk about that next. What can we learn from our Lutheran forefathers on how to face the challenges of a culture openly hostile to Christianity? Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, has written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled For Such a Time as This. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. You'll also find Pastor Will Whedon's article on the monthly Psalter, the free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Have you thought about eternal life? When does it begin? What is eternal life? Well, your eternal life does not begin when your body, earthly body, fails and is laid into the grave. It begins, in fact, in the waters of holy baptism where you were tied to the death of Christ and in him you were raised. To learn more about this topic of eternal life, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Sanctifying your exercise routine with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Nestled near the spectacular Santa Catalina Mountains in sunny Tucson, Arizona, Catalina Lutheran Church is home to confessional law and gospel preaching and Bible teaching. Join those whom God calls and gathers to receive His gifts for His divine service to us Sundays and Wednesdays and Bible studies most days of the week. Find us on the web at CatalinaLutheran.org. CatalinaLutheran.org. Lutheran Talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the difficult sayings of Jesus, not peace, but division in Luke chapter 12. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. I'm thinking about this house that Jesus describes, and it's divided everyone against one another as many ways as it can be. But it strikes me, David, that these are loved ones who are undergoing this division. Yeah, because that's what makes it hurt so bad. Again, it's a Christ himself wants all of you. And so you are to fear, love, and trust in God above all else. And that means even things that are truly wonderful and lovable. And this is the thing that we're being called to. Put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Let the dead bury the dead. I mean, on and on it goes. The call to faith is never a call to kind of niceties or a lukewarm sort of reaction or trying to find the easy path. It's always wanting, you know, sell everything that you have and come follow me. It is this extreme position because that's what he wants. He wants everything. You know, it's going to divide nation against nation or coworker against coworker or historic enemies or even even you against the devil, which which of course would be true. But 
again, it's this call to recognize that if he's really going to be your God, what is the most sort of dangerous idol you could have? You know, is it going to be a statue made out of gold? You know, is it going to be a pleasure of the flesh or is it going to be a person? And maybe that's a little bit different for each of us, but I think it's fair to say that for most of us, the most dangerous, or I mean, the thing that's the most tempting, that's what I mean by dangerous, is going to be people. Is it a division that exists only between, I want to be careful here, only between a believing father and an unbelieving son or vice versa? Or is it also even two believers? Jesus is saying, they cannot come between me and you. I think it's saying even between believers. Again, you know, what what won't you sacrifice for faith? What actually matters to you more? And I mean, even if that was your dear Christian spouse that you just say, I cannot live without her. Well, then you've said too much. You know, you might have meant in the best of, of sense, and it might not be her fault. It's your fault for being an idol worshiper. It's not her fault for being so lovely that you want to spend time with her. So it's that. There is also, I think, a prediction of this, or there's a kind of fulfillment of this in the divisions within the church, within Christianity, when we can't actually agree on doctrine, when some people, they just don't want to take the Bible seriously enough or literally enough, and they don't take the faith that way, and they want us to compromise that, that also creates divisions that, you know, again, ideas have consequence, doctrine matters, and we have to be willing and ready to recognize that our doctrinal standard is real. I think the uh, sad reality of and necessity of closed communion is a fulfillment of this passage. You can't commune with your son and his wife because they're Methodists. And God be praised that they're Christians, but we're not going to pretend like the doctrinal aberrations are insignificant or don't matter. That wouldn't even be respectful of them anyway. But there is this division because we're going to take faith absolutely seriously. And we're not doing this because we want division, but we're going to recognize that there's consequences of faith. It's not in this text per se, but is the peace that is made between God and man in Jesus' death for the world, it brings not only a reconciliation between God and man, but does it also bring reconciliation between me and my neighbor? Oh, absolutely, right? That we can have real unity and, in fact, real family in Christ. And it is possible, those that we do agree with doctrinally, that we have a unity that surpasses even that of, I sometimes will say, baptismal water is thicker than blood. This passage is using the word peace, of course, really in a different way. It's not talking here about the peace that's promised by the angels to the shepherds in their field. God does bring peace between God and man in the Messiah. Jesus has, he is the Prince of Peace. I mean, there's scores of passages that promise this. And also the ultimate unity of the church, right? That these divisions will cease. I think one of the places that's sort of helpful for the word peace and what's being taught here is Romans chapter 5. So the first couple of verses read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So here we see kind of the correspondence, I think, that is being between, say, Luke 2 and here, you know, in Luke 12. So Jesus is bringing peace, and then he says, I'm not bringing peace. Well, the peace he brings is the first part of Romans 5, right? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because we've been justified by faith. However, at the same time, we glory in tribulations, that we're recognizing that this peace with God brings tribulations on earth, and we receive them not in surprise or shock or anger, but rather with the confidence that God is working all things together for good, that tribulation produces perseverance, that is, patience or endurance, and that produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. So the tribulation itself might have some disappointing attributes to it, but we do have peace with God through Christ Jesus because we've been justified by faith, and we trust that he knows what he's doing, and these sad divisions and difficulties won't last, that he will work all things together for good, and we won't be disappointed ultimately. So I'm putting my one more passage, and that's James 4, 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? How does that connect up here? Yeah, I mean, once again, we're just so tempted to be popular with the world or with our families, and we're so terrified of being alone in this world and not, not having its approval. But to have friendship with the world is going to is going to be bought at a terrible price of compromise every time. So rather than compromise with your children at Thanksgiving, just speak the truth in love. And if they don't like it, that'll be sad, but it'll also be, you will have also done a service to them by being loving and kind and gentle and accurate with them rather than comforting them in their delusions right? In fact, if they ever come out of the delusion, they're never going to thank you for having, I think, for example, you know, if somebody walks into my study and says, pastor, I'm deeply depressed. And I'm thinking of killing myself because I'm so sad that life's not worth living. I mean, it would be malpractice if I said to that person, you should be really sad. Your life's not worth living right? No, that's not what I'm going to say to the person. I'm going to say, look, that's a mental illness. It's a delusion. It's a confusion. You're not right. That's wrong. You're, you're looking at the world wrong. Your self-view, your understanding of how you fit in this world is completely inaccurate. And it's deceiving you into thinking you ought to kill yourself. So I'm going to try to speak the truth to that person that's going to tell him what reality is according to the Bible and also reason and experience so that he doesn't do something in this illogical, emotional state that's not actually healthy and helpful. And it's the same sort of thing when we talk about mental health, spiritual health is a similar thing. Condoning false doctrine or immorality is not actually comforting and you're just supporting delusions. I mean, if a man walks in here and says, I'm a woman, and I go along with it, it's just as bad as going along with it if he says, I'm sad. 
Or if somebody walks in here and says, the body and blood of Christ aren't bodily present in the sacrament of the altar. And I think, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings, so I'll protect his feelings by lying to him. That's disrespectful of him as a human. It doesn't actually serve the real purpose. It's not loving. It's not kind. It doesn't actually help him to grow. And unfortunately, that's our temptation all the time, not because we care about the person, right? I'll lie to people about the truth when I know the truth, not because I care about that person, but because I care about how that person views me. I don't want him to become angry at me or to dislike me or to disrespect me. So I will tell him lies to placate him or to whatever, to bribe him. But that's really a selfish move. It's not a serving move. Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. For more information on Gottesdienst, visit the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. David, thank you. Thank you, Todd. When we get back, we're going to be remembering 4th century soldier and then bishop Martin of Tours. The church remembers him on the 11th of November. Dr. Bill Weinrich of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, will be our guest. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. This new resource will help you navigate God's Word with clarity and confidence. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number 1-800-325-3040 or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Confessional Lutherans, we've got your back. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical Curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. Simplyclassical.com.